it doesn't matter how much money you have as long as you've got enough money to market for the deal. And then what does matter is who you know on the backside so that you can bring experienced partner to the game. And then usually that track record will get you access both to their network if you need limited partners to come to the deal, as well as the bank coming and being the big partner with something between 60 and 80% of the dollars. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and we've got a special episode for you, part of our multifamily kickstart program. And I'm fortunate enough to have my man, Johnny Nelson, with me today. Johnny, how are things in your neck of the woods? Hey, I'm doing really good, man. Just got off the, uh, the off the W-2 work. The focus is to transition hard into the multifamily space. So I'm really excited about that path. You know, I've been chasing this hard for about six months. And uh, I've been following you know, lots of podcasts. And uh, then I've, it was turned on to yours about maybe four months ago. Nice. And then I've, I've recommended it to a few few folks as well. One thing I'm super excited about. Recommended, uh, John. I really you like recommend your... thing. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. I'm just <laughs> Yeah. So then uh, I, I, when I recommended it, I was like, because I really felt that like, I was like, well, I, like drums get this cool podcast and he, he's dialed into this niche space where, uh, you know, he's kind of taken the, not, not really contrarian philosophy, but kind of that, that piece where, you know, it's like, how did you do it? And we just, we chased down that path to success. And then uh, as other guests, and obviously the, literally the name of the podcast is, is uh, Highlights is uh, what uh, what goes wrong, what can go wrong, really dialing dial into the nitty-gritty of that. And there's just so much uh, potential knowledge and things really kind of really unpack there. So I just, you know, I really like that that piece that you've uncovered, really drilled down to that niche. And uh, yeah, it's very appealing to me. Man, thank you so much. I, people give me a hard time. They're like, why does anybody want to hear about the missteps? I say that's where all the learning is. If if it all goes right, I don't think you can actually learn a whole lot. So I appreciate you noticing that and actually finding some value there. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, you carved out you carved out a cool space. You know, I mean, there's lots. I mean, like it's obviously it's important to get the you know the success pieces, and people do want to like model that success. But also, there's like an equal you know the the negative side. There's always like if you're at zero, and there's like the negative and the positive. There's equal spaces in either side of that. And within that is that that you focus on, you know, what I mean, you could say the negative space, at least the of the opposite side of the success. And there's there's equally there's so much to unpack and learn there as well and explore. So, you know, again, you know, you're, you've carved out a unique thing. And that's another piece that just from a business opportunity, I'm really attracted to that type of mind that can crack open just, you know, we think we're in this one headspace or this one business space. And then all of a sudden somebody uncovers this new perspective, this new angle. I'm like, damn, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's perfect. But I mean, I think that's what the whole game is in this mergers and acquisition space that we're playing in. Right. And so you said you've been chasing pretty hard after it. And I don't know if you've done your first deal or getting close on your first deal. So walk us down the journey. Where, where are you on the path? And kind of let's talk about the things you're trying to overcome. See if I can help get you started. 
Yeah, for sure, Bud. So um, my wife and I started in the real estate um, space about two years ago at the end of 2018 uh, and kind of beginning of 2019. We picked up a few. I just heard a colleague talk about it and was like, oh, you know, the house hack, you know, get a duplex. And uh, from that that kind of perspective, and it's like, oh, wow, that, that's cool. And then, uh, you know, maybe we should do that. So then you know, roughly it was like two years of of going down the smaller, you know, single family, you know, duplex type of thing. And then and then uh, looking at our lives, like, well, we're going to have a family. And uh, how do you, you know, the scale is just is so limited. I'm just going to take like 10, 20 years to get where we want to go. And clearly, there's lots and lots of discussions out there like, well, multifamily, multifamily, multifamily. I mean, uh, this, you know, thousands of people have said this on other podcasts. So we all know that. So coming right to uh, to the point here. So like I said, six months ago, you know, we, we joined a group and uh, a lot of, you know, been just tons of learning and, and personal learning and, and growth and uh, mindset learning. So, you know, I guess to come to the point of, you know, what the point of this of our discussion today, I guess there's probably a mixture of impatience on my part. I mean, I'm a man of action, but also impatient at the same time. I, th- I guess I see the probably the most, the deepest in the deepest part of my heart. I'm like, I don't know if I can fund this deal. If I was to bring this down and me and a, a couple of people, I do, I have, do not have confidence that I would be able to come up with the money. So there's a good, there's an awesome question. I'm sure p- tons of people have asked, but let's hear what Jerome has to say to that one. Yeah. The money isn't as big a deal. Let me see if I can, <laughs> I want to position this the right way. If you don't have the experience, then you won't even get to the place where you have the money question, right? Yeah. Because the bank is going to be your biggest partner on the deal. And in order to get them to bring 60 to 80%, whatever they choose to bring on the particular opportunity, they're going to be looking for an operator with some experience. And experience means they signed a loan and they've executed that business plan. Unless your net worth is just so big and your liquidity is so strong that you could write a check to do the project on your own. And so, it's not, I, so. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't fortunate enough to be in that spot either. And so I needed to be partnered with somebody who has some experience and some liquidity and net worth. And so what I will tell you is finding the deal and being, you said you've already joined the group. There should be some people in that group who are more senior and are interested in doing deals, right? And those folks would be the ideal partner for you. That's a big part of the reason why you pay the money to join that community. And then from there, your combined forces take you to the bank. The thing that makes you valuable to the folks with experience is that you find a deal. And I I can't emphasize this enough. People are saying, well, why would somebody want to partner with me? Or I don't want to partner with anybody. But if there's a gap, right, with the knowledge, deal flow, experience, or capital, then those are the reasons why other folks partner. With that said, are are you sending? Are you? Is your goal to syndicate, or do you want to join venture? I'm kind of agnostic to either either method. I whatever. If it was a larger deal, I would be like, sure, let's syndicate. Um, I think my first inclination is to would be a JV or a partnership, and that's just because I think it makes more sense for a newbie uh, to you know start with a smaller asset. Uh, that just kind of the secret just happens to be the kind of you know the smaller deal would be more you know inclined to be you know JV, and the larger deal would be would be you know syndicated. Okay. So, so, but strategy wise, I mean, are you looking for the hundred unit plus? Are you looking for the 20 unit? Like what, what size deal are you looking for? Because I think that's going to, that clarity is going to help you get to the place you want to get quick. 20 to hundred, 20 to hundred units is my range. I've been telling people that, and I think that's a good place to start. Okay. And so what is, so sub, sub 100. Okay. Yeah. So sub 100, what it's going to take for you to do 
a 20 unit deal is very different from a hundred. What markets are you looking at? My, we, we, my wife and I live in Minneapolis and, uh, your earlier comment, Ooh, that's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> my wife. So, uh, and, and, the the value that we can bring kind of to your point that you let out with is the, you know, being boots on the ground or, you know, the, you know, hunting the deals and that kind of thing. Cause we're not bringing, you know, you know, massive amounts of capital or, or, or experience, so yeah, so that is it is it is hunting those deals down. That's what I've been I've been communicating is is that you know sub one hundred deal. Okay, and so I don't know which group you join, but most of the syndication groups are looking for plus hundred plus unit deals, right? And so if you take that to and I won't name any of the guys, but if you take that to that guru or that educator, they're going to say this doesn't fit our criteria, and nobody's going to sign on this loan. Is that in congruence or in alignment with the folks who you've paid money to be a part of their program? There's folks um, on both sides of, of that equation. You know, they they some some people want the larger deal and some people don't, and uh, that's that's something I've kind of been realizing the last few months as well as uh, presenting as these various deals pop up, the right the, that deal to the right matching that to the right investor. And uh, I guess my a question, another question then is, how do you really sell the people, the folks on, you know, you think you think you've matched the deal to the opera, to the to the investor or investors typically? How do you convince them that this is the deal? They, I mean, because they're looking at deals around, you know, around the country. So then you're you're literally competing with this, you know, Iowa, and you're competing with Texas or Arizona. How do you convince them? And how what's been your experience to like, okay, I'm going to invest with Jerome in this, you know, North Carolina or wherever, you know, wherever your your um your strength is. So I want to get clear when you say investor, are you talking about like GP sponsor type person? Or are you talking about a passive? Investor? Probably well, if it's going to go with the, with the JV, it's just basically equity partner, people that would all people, everyone okay. would be actively so involved. Okay. And, you know, some, somebody probably would be just bringing mainly money and they would be letting the team on the ground here handle most of it. But yeah, so that'd be, that'd be framing it that way. More some type of JV deal. The majority of people I know who are doing this in a real way are not looking all over the country. They may have five markets that they look at. And so if you find a deal in the market that they're trying to source from, then they're very interested in, especially if it's something that they haven't been able to get their eyes on. Now, the other piece of that is, you know, what's the buy box? What do you look for in an investment? Can we hit the cash on cash return? Can we hit the overall return for the property? Is there a minimum cash flow per year? Is there a certain debt service coverage ratio that they're looking for when you go into the deal? Does it have the cash flow for them day one? Like going through and starting to ask those questions and see what the investor is actually looking for for their deal allows you to be very um, targeted when you present something, right? You're not just saying, hey, here's what I got. What do you think? And you know, the thing that probably irritated me the most early on before I got a whole lot more clear on what I was doing is people would just send me offering memorandums that they got from brokers. They said, Hey, you want to partner on this deal? And I'm like, oh, you didn't do anything. Why would I partner with you? Yes. Like I, the broker already sent me this by the way. So like your contribution was not there at all. And so th- the encouragement here is, all right, and you can narrow it down too. And so I always tell people knowledge, deal flow, experience, capital. If you're got the knowledge and you can actually underwrite the underwriting, and you can do this a number of different ways, but one of the ways that I think is probably most valuable is present a deal to that person and just make sure that you're on the same page from assumptions, right? If 
you know, and then another great example is, hey, minimum increase in rents is $100, for example, right? And go through. And if you, like, I, I'm aggressive on rent growth. So there's some models where I have 5% rent growth, especially if I'm $100 below market, I'm going to raise rents pretty aggressively. So if they see that in your model and they're like, well, there's no way we're going to do that. Like the only thing that we're interested in is 3% growth and, oh, your cap rate for whatever you think this type of property is, is too low, which is giving you a false valuation on the actual number on the back end. then it, you, you want to be clear about what they're going to be looking for. And those numbers, those and there's only a few numbers that are really important. That service coverage ratio, net operating income, cap rate, like those right there are going to, if you can get answers to those questions from the person that you're looking to partner with, and you can bring them something that meets those criteria, there's but so much wiggle room. They can fuss, fuss with you about, hey, this uh, repair and maintenance expense is higher or lower than what I expected to be. But I mean, those are more details than the concept. And so- get to agreement and concept on like what the person's looking for, because if they're actually investing, then they probably have a pretty clear idea of what it is. And if they don't want to give that to you, then they probably aren't interested in partnering. Right. And so there's a relationship building piece first going through the no like, and trust funnel. Once they're at the trust point, then getting over to, okay, so what are you looking for specifically? Like, give me the secret sauce. That service coverage ratio, are you good with whatever the bank will fund? Um, Splits. Are are you looking to do 80-20 or do you want us to be at 90-10? A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to that acquisition fee. And I was just having this conversation with one of my partners. You know, he he usually does splits that are more generous than what I would do, considering the amount of work that we're going to be doing. And so it's like I I I don't think we should do. I don't think we should give the partners that much. I think we should keep more of this deal because of how much work we're going to end up doing. And so he had to take a step back and actually think through that and say, yeah, I. I think we do deserve more of the deal than we would if we split it. And oh, by the way, they can still hit what they want because a lot of folks are just looking for like 12%, you know? And so, you know, walking through that process, getting clear about what their ideal investment is. And then if you find something that's close, you can bring that to them and say, hey, this doesn't hit all the boxes, but it does hit this one and this one. Love to get your opinion on it. And that speeds up the process. You don't waste their time because you're only bringing them things that hit their criteria. And it should increase the likelihood of getting to a yes with the experienced partner. Now, I mean, there are people who say things, and this is one of the things that I don't really enjoy about the space. Everybody's smiling, patting you on the back, saying they're going to do a deal and yada, yada, yada. And But when the rubber meets the road, they're not actually interested, right? And they just won't tell you that. They'll shrink you along so you're feeding them deals. And so 
get into that place, get into the place where you guys are clear and you know what each other wants. And have you, do you have any do you have any tips there to sound that out to the next level? Like, how do you know? When, so you're really, you're dealing with the real deal. How, what have you? What kind of insights do you have there? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just making sure that you're clear on they're willing to give you what their criteria is, right? If it checks this box, this box, and this box, I'm really interested in buying something. If, you know, for instance, I hate basement units, right? If somebody brings me something with a basement, I'm going to tell them that I'm probably not interested unless there's a way that we can mitigate the risk of water coming through the wall. But if it's a block wall and it's in North Carolina where I usually invest and it's been there for a while, more than likely water's coming through. And I just don't yes. want to spend the money on that because I know that I'm not going to get it back on the long run. But I mean, there are deals out there that may check all the other boxes and I, I'm going to tell you no. But there, there's stuff like that where people aren't actually going to have that conversation. And so, um, and here, here's the other piece of it. Like if they don't smile when they see you and seem yeah. excited that you're, you're coming to hang out with them, then yeah. you, you know that there's some hesitation there and the likelihood that they're going to sign a loan with you because, I mean, it's literally like co-signing a car, right? Or that they're going to put a big dollar amount with you and yeah. they probably wouldn't leave their kids with you. You know, there's probably a disconnect there. Right? And I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. Like these are some real commitments. These are some real um, connections and you really want to know who that person is. And so as much as you're interviewing them or as much as they're interviewing you, you're interviewing them because at the end of the day, if they're a big enough investor, they can hold your deal hostage, right? Yeah. And oh, that, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, like literally, you know, you're maybe you're rolling along and you think you got it covered and all of a sudden it just, you know, that's their absolute choke point and nothing's going to happen if, unless they say yes. Right. That's a lot of power. It's, <laughs> it's a whole lot of power. And so you've got to protect yourself too, because you know, you're financially at risk as well. Cause I mean, the whole goal in finding your own deal is so that you can sign the loan so that you get the experience. And so what I would tell you is, and I can think this is probably the last piece of it, right? You want to make sure that you are dealing with something that you would feel comfortable if the person pulled out, right? You still want to be able to do the deal. And mm. if you're totally dependent on somebody else doing it, you're probably out over your ski, right? Yeah. And that yeah. that's where you can lose a lot of money and the person shrugs your shoulder and says, yeah, it just wasn't a good fit for me. So you, you want to pace and test along the way. So for instance, if you're if you're chasing the deal, you don't want to put all the due diligence money in. Maybe if you haven't worked with a person before, you might want to have them come in for portions of it so that if you get to the end of the road, they have something to lose too. If you're the only one with something to lose, then it's easy for the other person to walk away, right? You want everybody invested. And you know, if they're actually in on the deal, they're not going to have a problem participating in that, right? It's just part yeah, of it. That's great. That's great insight there. Yeah. Also, just you know, it's, if there's no, you know, another way, though, at least how it occurs in my mind is like if there's no, the upside is, you know, if there's only upside for them and no downside, that's not a good position to be in. You know? It's not a good position for you. Now, with that said, seasoned investors are going to try to get into that position, right? Yes. But yeah. the seasoned investor who's going to be a great partner is going to put skin in the game with you because they want to be on the journey. They want to show you that you you guys are aligned and they want to show you that, hey, this is the real deal. Now, you know, I say that 
And in the same breath, I will say, I hate having my money in due diligence. I, I don't want my money sitting at the attorney's office while we go through a three-month due diligence process. I, I, I'd rather keep my money to myself. And so, but that's me negotiating the earnest money deposit, right? I'm, I'm going to try to get that down below 1%. I always try to. It doesn't always work, but that's always my goal. But that's you guys being clear on the strategy for the execution of that business plan and them explaining to you what their actual goals are so that you can work together. Um, I think the last thing I'll say is, you know, be careful about contracting too quick on a deal that you know you can't do on your own because you can do something in the contracting process that precludes people from participating in the deal. They may say, hey, I need this or I need that. It could be simplest timeline. I, I remember putting a deal under contract and my partner wanted uh, another, I think they wanted another 30 days that I hadn't put in the contract. And because we didn't have the extra 30 days, that said, well, I, it's too rushed. I, I don't feel comfortable. I'm out, right? I remember having an opportunity to buy something out of foreclosure and we needed to show $10 million so that we could buy cash. And I said, well, we, we got to show this letter next week. And he said, yeah, I mean, I can get the money, but it's not going to happen in a week. I'm out. And so, you know, time is always going to be a component. And the wealthiest people I know don't like feeling rushed when they're doing anything. They, they, they want to slow it down. And so if you get to the place, you want to get them involved as early as you can in the process. But this goes back to the trust, right? If you bring a deal to somebody and you don't have it under contract, they can always go around you, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they go around you, they don't have a good reputation long range. And so that kind of spirals out of control. But, you know, because if you can get them engaged before it goes under contract, that allows you to write the contract because that's the most important document you do. That allows you to write the contract in a way that they're going to feel comfortable moving forward. And, you know, just the specific terms, like another thing that can go on a contract that can be a game changer is the documents that you ask for. If you don't ask for the right documents while you're going through your due diligence period, yeah, they can be out. And one that I love to ask for or I guess it's two, is the tax returns and the bank statements. If you don't ask for those in due diligence when they sign the contract, and then you come back and say, hey, I need you to prove your deposits. Yes. They'll just kind of shoulder struggling. You say, hey, that's not part of our requirements. Good luck. Mm, and yeah. your person may not close because they'll say, well, I mean, I can put any number in the spreadsheet I want to and send it to you. Matter, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And people are fudging financials right now because they've got delinquency. They want to sell it to somebody else and they know that they can't buy it if they have the delinquency. Because if you're doing agency debt on anything, they need the 90 for 90. And if you yeah. have 90 for 90, you're not closing or they're going to do it on the T1. And that's going to drop your NOI, which is going to kill your loan proceeds. And then you may not be able to make that delta. up. But I've seen that happen for folks too. So the short answer is experience is the way to the capital, right? And it doesn't matter how much money you have, as long as you've got enough money to market for the deal. And then what does matter is who you know on the backside so that you can bring experienced partner to the game. And then usually that track record will get you access both to their network if you need limited partners to come to the deal, as well as the bank coming and being the big partner with something between 60 and 80% of the dollars. Yeah, that's oh, so much good, so much good stuff there, Jerome. Now that's like I really like that that piece about the um, you know the wealthy folk not 
wanting to be rushed at all. That's something that's just not in their DNA. They don't I mean they didn't get there probably for being hasty, um, and they're probably not going to change for because little Johnny wants to show up and wants it now. That's why. Why would they do that? Why would also change their whole life philosophy just because I because I'm. I want to do something, right? Yeah. And uh, I will tell you, the more that you push, the more they slow down. They're like, I, I don't know. I, I, there's something wrong. And they vanish. And yeah, yeah. That's, there's nothing scarier than somebody that you're counting on to stop answering your phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. They, they can sense that, that desperation in your, in your spirit and they, they will, they will just go. So if I can make, uh, ask another question now, it looks like we're, we're running, we're getting close to the end here, but. If so, Jerome's experience, Johnny's not experience. If what do you need to see in a new operator that makes you feel confident? So, like, what are the criteria that you need to see? You know, obviously, you don't want to see somebody that's desperate. You want to see somebody that just that had a, a fling, a wild thought about that multifamily is cool from you know two weeks ago. What are what are, what's the other thing that you need to see? Yeah, I think the first thing that I want to see is that they've done something to get the right education. I I don't yeah. want to hear about podcasts and books because I don't think that <laughs> actually explains what's going to happen because you're not yeah. actually a partner if I got to do everything and tell you how to do all the stuff, right? That's not actually partnership. I need you to bring some original thought to the conversation as we're figuring out the business plan and troubleshooting and looking for ways to add value and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I need you to be able to make your own model so that we can compare notes and say, well, you did this and I did that. And eventually we, I think we get to the right number, right? There's your side, my side, and then the edge of the coin. And you know, we need to get to the edge of the coin to make sure that we feel really good about the assumptions that we're making going in. Uh, the other thing that I think is really just paying attention to uh, the values, right? And making sure that the person does what they say, make sure that they're willing to take extreme ownership over the things they're responsible for. And if I, I see those things align, you know, do what say, um, that means I can predict what you're going to do. And if I can predict what you're going to do, then I feel really good about trusting you. If I can't predict what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, then I'm out because I, I get scared just like everybody else pretty quickly. It's like, I, I just don't know what to expect. This isn't comfortable. I'm out. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, that's and some not not everything that I've been working on or kind of real. There's a lot of things that dawn on me. I kind of gradually realize and learn, kind of by osmosis, and some of those uh, some of the elements of what you're just saying there uh, have been kind of recurring to me. I think this is like how this is kind of done, and uh, you know how do you how do you present and how do you you know and, and yeah. So those those are all great great tips as well. Well, Johnny, this was awesome, man. Thanks for these solid questions. I, we haven't talked about money yet, but this one was was really good. And I just really appreciate you being willing to come on and ask these questions so that other folks can learn from you as well. And I, I wish you great luck on your journey. And if the community can do anything to help you, uh, we look forward to doing whatever we can, man. Uh, absolutely, but yeah, I'm like as you know, we, we kind of started out, you know, and they're like, oh, hopefully, I can do good questions and and contribute to this to 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 uh, uh, Jerome's podcast here. But uh, some of the stuff you dropped and uh, the, some of the stuff, the, the things you shared was like, wow, this is so good. This is really good. I'm, I'm actually going to go back and listen to this again. Even I was on the podcast. I'm going to listen to it again. So I actually just listen to you without me like being here. So without me having to like think. So awesome, Johnny. Talk soon. And to the listeners, the pack is with you. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.